of the Thai boys' football team. And we can only imagine how their parents, how their friends, how the rest of their families must have felt. And it's by imagining that that we do get closer to understanding how those disciples were feeling after Jesus' death. But it's for, for them, we need to realize, and it's important to do so, that it wasn't just their friendships that had been lost. It was the hopes of a nation, the hope that Jesus really was the Messiah, God's promised rescuer, and that he really would rescue Israel from what they assumed was their biggest problem, occupation by the hated Roman Empire. And so when Jesus claimed to be king, as he did almost from the beginning of his ministry, when he said the kingdom of God is near, they assumed he would be a military hero, that sort of king who would overthrow the Romans and lead Israel into a new era of prosperity and peace, like previous kings had done, the good kings anyway. And yet it was so different what God actually had in mind. And it had all started so well. The crowds were enormous. The miracles were incredible. The teaching was amazing. There was nothing, it seemed, that Jesus could not do. And yet, where was he now? Good Friday evening, Easter Saturday. Where was he? Rather than overthrowing the Romans, he instead had been convicted by them and executed executed in the most agonizing of ways. What a failure it seemed. What a disappointment. All their hopes had been dashed. But this is what happened next. And you can see the picture there. There was a man called Joseph. He was from a place called Arimathea. He was a wealthy man. He must have followed Jesus in some way because he asked if he could have the body. Perhaps he paid a lot of money for it. Certainly he'd paid for a tomb that he had never used, that was for his family. And he paid for Jesus to be taken down and taken to that tomb there. That's what it probably would have looked at, looked like. And there you can see the stone rolled to seal the tomb and Jesus' body embalmed and in the tomb there, dead. Yet, four female followers of Jesus, four ladies from Galilee, this might be what they looked like. In a reenactment, they're the actresses that played them. They had other plans. What they wanted to do was give to Jesus, if you like, the burial that they felt he deserved. So on Saturday, what they did is they got together perfume and various other spices. They prepared them, knowing on the Sabbath they couldn't do anything. For that was a day when uh, no one worked at all, and going to the tomb would be work in their eyes. But on the Sunday... Easter Sunday, they got up at the crack of dawn. They headed off to the tomb. They'd followed Joseph of Arimathea. When he'd put the body in there, they'd stepped just back so that he couldn't see them. And they'd seen where that tomb was. So they headed there on the Sunday together with their herbs, their spices, and their perfume to give to Jesus what they felt he deserved on his death. But what did they discover? This. The tomb was empty. The stone had been rolled away. The first thought that went into their heads must have been this. Oh no, Jesus' body has been stolen. After his death 
as a traitor, as a criminal, the final rejection. And yet, whilst they were allowing those thoughts to come into their mind, two men appeared. The Bible tells us they, their clothes appeared to be like lightning. The women fell to the ground, as you can imagine they naturally would. But the men said to them this, words that blew them away. Why do you look for the living among the dead? He's not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee. The Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. And it was then that they remembered his words. And I suppose what happened next was predictable. They went to the people you'd expect them to go to, to the disciples, the obvious people to tell, and they told them everything. But it was such an unbelievable story, wasn't it? I'm sure we can all imagine. The disciples didn't believe them. They dismissed it. I don't know if they thought they were hallucinating. They were mad. Or that this was just some very sick joke. But one of them, One of the disciples just had a little bit of doubt. He wanted to find out for himself. It was Peter, and he literally sprinted to the tomb. He wanted to find out, depending on what gospel you read, John joined him. We're not quite sure which one got there first. But when they got to the tomb, Peter went in, and this is what he found and took out with him. Folded grave clothes. What did it mean? And that, sadly, is where the Easter story finishes for some people. We know the tomb's empty. We know some amazing things have been claimed about Jesus. But we haven't met him. We don't know the rest of the story. We haven't got a relationship with him. We haven't got a friendship with him. We haven't received that gift of him dying for us, for ourselves. If that's you... Listen on. Listen to the end of the story. And I really encourage you to allow yourself to believe in all that Jesus has done for you. So, what was the end of the story? Well, we probably all know, don't we? Jesus started appearing. He appeared on the road to Emmaus, to Cleopas and his sidekick. He appeared to Mary, as we saw on the video before the service. He appeared to ten of the remaining disciples, except for one my namesake Thomas, who wasn't there. And then he appeared to him as well and the rest of the disciples. In fact, we're told he appeared to as many as 500 people in different times at different places until it finished on a mountain in Galilee, exactly where Jesus had told his disciples to meet him. And on that one final occasion, he gave what we now call the Great Commission, go and make disciples of all nations including us and our nation here. And then a moment later, he was gone, ascended into heaven. What did it mean? And it's here I want to land. And what I believe and feel really strongly is the challenge that Easter presents us. Because it's an incredible story, isn't it? But we can't just leave it there. For there was a reason he had died. And that was it was actually the will of God to solve a huge problem, indeed the biggest problem of the human race. And that problem was this. God is holy, perfectly holy, 
But we as human beings, apart from the one perfect human being, Jesus himself, most certainly are not. Only one thing could solve it, this problem of our sin and God's holiness. And the solution was Jesus dying in our place as a sacrifice, the ultimate sacrifice. And the resurrection on that first Easter Sunday confirmed that it had worked. The way between us and God was clear. It meant we could be forgiven. It meant the life we'd been made for could be ours. The life that Jesus modeled for us in loving relationship with God, doing the will of God through the power of God could be ours. That was the purpose of human history. And when we align ourselves with that purpose, with that calling, our lives will never be the same again. So, let's just for a moment go back to those Thai boys in the cave. They were in a place of despair and darkness. As Claire said at the beginning, it's like what a life without God can feel like. We feel trapped. We feel powerless to change our lives for the better. We lack that peace of God's presence. And Jesus himself said, I am the light of the world. Without him, we can't see our way out. Without him, we don't have that eternal hope. Without him, our lives so often feel like they have no purpose or peace at all. And yet Jesus, the light of the world, said, I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. It meant a life with meaning and purpose in this life and a life for eternity with him in the next. The choice is ours. Or let me put it like this. The rescue of the Thai boys was wonderful. But though the world in many ways had witnessed it through the power of television, including us, it did not change the world. By contrast, Jesus' rescue, though there was no television to show it to us, did change the world. Will we let it change ours? So what I want to finish now with is to invite us to take a step of faith. Because what God calls us to is not just to believe in the miracle of what God did for Jesus on Easter Sunday. It's also to believe in the miracle of what he can do for each of us. The miracle of salvation, the miracle of rescue from spiritual darkness, not just in this world, but in the next, for eternity in heaven with him. So what we're going to do in a moment is we're going to have a time of silence. In that time of silence, can I invite you just to say sorry to God for anything that you feel you need to say sorry for, to keep a short account with him, just to lay down before him the things that we know separate us from him and that need his forgiveness and ask him to forgive you. Then we're going to do that corporately as we say a prayer of confession together. And then Claire will lead us on for the rest of the service. So a moment of silence now, just to pray your own prayer, to say sorry and to seek God's forgiveness.
And now building on that prayer, let's say together now the prayer of confession on the screen. You say the words in yellow. When our faith stands at the grave, grieving for a stone that's rolled away, God of hope, forgive us. When our faith is short of understanding, though the truth is there to see, God of hope, forgive us. When our faith sees no further than an empty tomb today, God of hope, forgive us. So may the God of hope and power forgive you and free you from your sins, heal and strengthen you by his spirit and raise you to new life in Christ our Lord this Easter day. Amen.